0: All right. So tonight's message is called "Quiet Love in a Chaotic World." Now, when we start thinking about the church, and we think about unbelievers in their their opinions about the church, many many unbelievers, especially those who have really strong negative opinions about the church, is many times they have they have those feelings because they grew up they grew up with a church experience that left a really bitter taste in their mouths. And and they testify that the church was unloving to them, um, that they felt discriminated against or they felt like they weren't cared for and they were hurt. And 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 for and as a church, you know, as Christians, we we, we always proclaim about the love of Christ, right? About the love that we have, about Christian love. And and that is that is true, right? The gospel we proclaim is good news because we are declaring the love of God to people. The gospel message is true, but but what undermines the message of god's of God's love, many times is the messenger. it's It's the church who fails to uphold the message of God's love to this world. Now, I'm saying this, and I recognize that we aren't perfect, right? No one is perfect. We know that. And, and I want us to think, you know, about our lives a little bit. Right? Our, our actions, they're, they're not the sole reason why people don't believe. They're not the sole reason why it seems like evangelism is difficult. But the point is this. When, when God's love, while God's love is powerful enough to save sinners without our uh, help, God still chooses to reveal His love for the world through the faithfulness of His people. In other words, how you live testify to love God. Imagine, imagine car salesman. And a car salesman is trying to sell you like this eco-friendly car. It's all electric. Um, let's just say he's trying to sell you a Tesla, and. And as this car smells and talking, selling this car, all you're thinking in your head is how this, you saw the same salesman pull into the lot in this gas guzzling truck. And and while you still might buy that Tesla, you won't have much respect for this salesman because he's a, he's a hypocrite for what he's selling. That is that is what I want to speak about in our, in our message tonight. Not necessarily about hypocrisy, but about us living out who we're called to be. To demonstrate love in so many different ways, in every way, in all aspects of our lives. Paul in 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 is dealing with the love of the church, the love of people. He's talking about brotherly love in, this, in our passage tonight. In chapter 4, as we covered last week, Paul begins chapter 4 transitioning his letter into instruction. He's going from encouragement to instruction. And in in last week, in verses 3 to 8, we we looked upon Paul's emphasis on sanctification. And that sanctification focused in upon sexual purity. Tonight, we're going to see Paul's second set of instructions. In verses 9 to 12, we will look upon... The topic of buttery love. And what we're going to see about this topic of buttery love is that love is supposed to infiltrate every portion of our lives. Love dominates our actions, our words, our thoughts. Right? When, when Paul speaks about love in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he, in First Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes about how Christians should demonstrate faith, love, and hope, right? The three triads, the same three attributes that we saw in First Thessalonians. But he says in 1 Corinthians 13 that the greatest of these three is love. And so what we're going to see here tonight is how love should drive us to do all these things, of what it means to be faithful, what it means to have hope in God. And we're going to see that particularly through, we're going to see brotherly love, particularly through faithful stewardship of our roles here on earth. And so in our passage now, you will be exhorted to demonstrate brotherly love throughout, through faithful stewardship of your earthly duties so that your testimony of Christ. Your testimony of God's love will not be tarnished. So let me go ahead and read the passage for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. This is God's word. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. First thing we're going to see here in our passage is the proof of brotherly love. Paul here begins in verse 9, and he begins with a conjunction. He says, now, now, and he's transitioning us into a new topic. Now concerning brotherly love. All right, it says here, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Right, and we see here the word for brotherly love is, it's a well-known Greek word, it's, it's Philadelphia, which is, you know, the city of Philadelphia, which, which is why that city is called the city of brotherly love. And what we see here in this word is that there's, there, it's a compound word between the verb phileo, which means love, and adelphos, which means brother. And we're talking then about here a brotherly love. It's a love that's been taught by God. And it's a love that says that we must do it to love one another. To love one another. In other words, what Paul here is talking about, he's saying that the love we have for one another is one that comes from God himself. If you know God, then you know love. 1 John chapter 4 Verse sixteen, whoops. First John chapter four, verse sixteen to eight. Verse, uh, first John chapter four, verse sixteen. So we have to. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And so we see here that, that Paul knew the Thessalonians knew God because they demonstrated love to all the brothers in Macedonia. It's no secret here that the Thessalonians, they, they, they were a church chosen and taught by God himself because they demonstrated love. That The main point here is that our love for one another serves as proof that we truly know who God is. Saying that you believe in God is one thing, but to live out that faith is another. Right? We remember the words of, of James chapter 2 where he says faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so the work of our faith must be demonstrated, must be shown through brotherly love. Again, I'll go back to First John because First John speaks about this kind of love that proves our faith over and over again. First John chapter two verse nine: Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Does this, this verse on its own should challenge us? I mean, is there anyone right now whom you are frustrated with? Anyone whom you're angry with? that you might be losing your patience with. I mean, however, you might be feeling that person, you might not use the word hate because it's, it's a really strong word. But whatever you're feeling, it certainly isn't love, right? And as Scripture tells us that we must forgive those who have wronged us and restore those who have repented. Do you love your brothers and sisters enough to work with them so that they repent of their sin? Are restored to Christ. Again, let us hear the words from John. First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And who anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. I'm talking about all this because Paul here is talking about this. And he's laying a foundation. Paul's main focus is in the next several verses. But here he first wants to establish that the Thessalonians, you you do indeed have a labor of love. It's really evident in, in, in your lives. And similarly for you guys, I've seen you guys love each other. The foundation is there. Your faith is no joke. But it's from this foundation that Paul enters in his main exhortation to to grow even more in our love for one another. So next we're gonna see then the practice of brotherly love. And towards the end of verse 10, Paul begins his urge, his exhortation for the Thessalonians. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more Right, we see this concept like selling more and more constantly throughout First Thessalonians. Right, Paul says this. In fact, back in and back in verse one of chapter four, where he says, when he talks about doing something more and more about walking the way they're walking to please God, but to do that even more so. You see, Paul here, he's he's speaking about not working for our own salvation, but a work that represents our sanctification, that represents our ongoing growth in God. To remember that there's always more room to love. This is, this is indeed Paul's heart for the testimonies. This is his heart for the church, heart for all Christians, that they will continue to grow in love for others. And so what we see here, back in verse 11 or verse 10, what we see here is Paul wants his church here, his brothers, his sisters in Christ, to grow in love. And starting in verse 11, he, he gives them some practical advice of how to do so. He's saying in verse 11, here are some more ways you can continue to grow and increase in your love. And... And knowing how much Paul spent commending these Thessalonians, knowing how much that these Thessalonians, did, they have exemplified their faithfulness. You can you can imagine just how zealous they are for what Paul is about to tell them. You can you can imagine them just rubbing their hands in eagerness, in anticipation. there they want more ways to express their faith. And verse eleven must then be a surprise to what, to, to these Thessalonians. And, and if you're reading with me, I know I'm surprised by what he's saying here in verse 11, what it means to demonstrate love. But he says here in verse 11, he says, He says, we urge you brothers to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. It's interesting here. It's interesting to read this verse and it, it's it's almost like hearing our Asian parents like this is like the Asian parents mantra to you know keep your keep your head down, keep your nose out of people's business, don't get in trouble, just work hard. We heard this so many times. It's interesting here that Paul here is telling them to focus more on taking care of their, of themselves of their responsibility how is that increasing in love for others how is that selfless love so let, let us let's take that question and then let's go and let's go and first break down this phrase one step at a time and and as, as soon as we break it down we'll then fit it back together to the bigger picture of what Paul is trying to teach here so the first instruction that we the first instruction that we see here is to to, to aspire to live quietly. This is this is somewhat of a paradox statement here. Right? The word to aspire is is literally translated as to have an ambition. To have an ambition. So, so it's talking about a certain zealousness and over-eagerness. And then Paul says, let's be overly ambitious to live quietly. Here, what he's speaking about, he's talking about living a tranquil and peaceful life. He's talking about living a peaceful life, and instead of stirring up public controversy, it is better to live peacefully with everyone. We have to think about this instruction here in light of the historical context of the Thessalonians, right? We we know the thessalonians are facing public persecution. The city officials are against them. Their own neighbors are persecuting them. And in the midst of a public outcry, our temptation would be to retaliate in the same way. And So instead, Paul here is giving the testimony some practical advice, saying instead of stirring up more trouble for yourself, it's better to live quietly. It's better to live quietly. The second interpretation that we see here, he says to mind your own affairs. To mind your own affairs. Scholars often pit the second instruction with the first one. So if you read it together, it's live quietly and mind your own business. In other words, don't be so nosy up into other people's affairs without first taking care of your own. But what Paul is speaking about here He's talking about fulfilling our personal duties to have faithful stewardship of our lives. Each one of us, we have a given set of duties and responsibilities that we must fulfill. All of us play a role, right? Either we're an employee or we're a student, we're a church member, we're a citizen, we're a son, we're a daughter, we're a husband, we're a wife. All these different roles, all these different roles contain a certain amount of responsibility to them. And what is going on here is that Paul is encouraging them to fulfill their responsibilities, to be faithful stewards of their roles. So instead instead of trying to cause a public trouble, first focus upon your own lives. And your own duties that you have. Going down the list here. The third instruction that we see is to work with your hands. This here is speaking about putting in our own effort. Putting in our own effort to, to carry our own weight. To not always depend upon others to support you. In other words, it's to pursue personal responsibilities of your of your roles in life. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't you know depend upon the church body at all. I mean, there are many times in our lives where we need support right, in our lives. For for instance, you know, during this pandemic, if anyone were to catch COVID nineteen, I I pray that that individual or family would reach out to the church to look for support, to look for help. But what Paul is encouraging here is that we will not abuse the support system to be lazy. It's a heart issue. It's to not take advantage of the church. It's not to use people to our own advantage. It's to remember that we are called to be—we are called to be givers, not receivers. Instead of, instead, we have to put in our own weight. To work with our own hands to contribute together to the greater good. An example of this is found in Ephesians chapter 4:28, where in the midst of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is demonstrating what it means to repent your sin and to put on a new self. And here he says in verse 28, "Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the evidence here then of true repentance is demonstrated when a thief, one who steals the fruits of other people's labor, now this thief works with his own hands so that he can bless others who are in need. Slowly, as we're going through each one of these instructions, we're beginning to see a bigger picture here, right? There's something about living quietly. There's something about fulfilling our personal responsibilities and working with our own hands that contributes to brotherly love, which brings us to verse 12. The purpose of brotherly love, the purpose, of brotherly love. In fact, what we see here in verse 12 is two purposes. Paul says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's first first cover the the second part. Be dependent on no one. Paul here tells the Thessalonians that to grow in their brotherly love, to grow in in their brotherly love, they should do so so that they would be dependent on no one. In other words, work quiet, live quietly, mind your own business, work with your own hands so that you'll be dependent on no one. This sounds a bit inward. Sounds a bit selfish. It's like how the saying goes, you should better teach a man to fish than to give a man a fish. I probably got the saying all wrong, but anyways, let's think for a moment, you know, it's how should the church really behave here? How should we each really take in this advice? What does it mean to be dependent on no one? Again, we must look at the context. The idea here, the idea of independence, is it's come up before in 1 Thessalonians. If you, if you look back actually in chapter 2, verse 9, in chapter 2, verse 9, Paul here speaks about working with his own hands, laboring. Right in chapter two, verse nine, he says, "You remember, brothers, our labor and toil; we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God." We see here that Paul's purpose of working with his own hands, of earning his own money, is so that he would not be a burden to others. What we get here is that. Paul wants to present the gospel with no strings attached. No strings attached. He he wants to be able to preach the gospel free of charge for what it truly is. He wants to show people that he is not preaching the gospel so that he can gain their favor and gain their, their gifts and their support. He's preaching the gospel. That they may come to know Christ. We, we know that the church here, the church in Thessalonica, struggle with laziness and idleness. We know that because Paul has to repeat the same command in his second letter. He returned with me to 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter three verse six to 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter three verse six to thirteen, we see here Paul. He, he writes a similar statement about what it means to work, to, to fulfill your own responsibilities. And he says here, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we will give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. I mean we, we see here, we see here that Paul he, he provides an example for them to, to work with their own hands, so that so that they would not fall into idleness and laziness. I mean, it's not again, it's not wrong that if Paul to accept gifts from other from to accept gifts and accept money from other churches that he preached to. I mean, if you think about you know us pastors, we we depend upon your donations to the church. But Paul here, he's taking every opportunity, every opportunity to present the gospel without any presumptions. No one can accuse him for preaching in in deceitfulness. No one can ever accuse him for having a pretext for greed. No one can accuse him of preaching a false gospel. And so when we, when we come back to our passage in First Thessalonians, we can infer that Paul here is telling the Thessalonians to work in the same way, to work so that they can proclaim the gospel freely without placing a burden on anyone. I mean, this, this is what makes the gospel so pure and untarnished by the way you live. And in this way, we see then a connection to the first purpose Paul lists here in verse 12 how the gospel is presented in to outsiders through our own lives. He tells the Thessalonians to work quietly so that they may walk properly before outsiders. That is, so that they may be held in respect from those outside the church, from unbelievers. Paul here wants them, wants these testimonies, wants the church to avoid being a stumbling block unbelievers let's think about this for a moment right imagine or think about someone you know as a very outspoken christian and he he shares the gospel about Shane. he talks about going to serving in different places going to youth ministry and attending prayer meetings there's a certain courage and passion about him and no one can really question his faith no one thinks of him as some kind of hypocrite of Christianity. He, he cares for people. But but here's the thing. The same person, he's just, he's just not a good employee. I mean, he's, he, he might be like on his fourth job in the past year, he, he gets labeled as lazy, as someone who's not a team player, not necessarily the hardest worker, not necessarily the most passionate employee for the company. Right? He, and, and, and many times because he seems to be putting church above his work. He, he comes in and he, he comes into work super tired because he's up all night hanging out with his church friends. He, he says it's for fellowship. He, he leaves work early in order to attend prayer meetings and to volunteer on Friday nights to serve at soup kitchens. And most of the time, while he's at work, he, he doesn't seem to really care all that much about his job. What would unbelievers say about this guy? What would outsiders say about this guy? They would perhaps say, yeah, I mean, this guy, he's a, he's a faithful Christian, but man, I get really tired of picking up his slack all the time, though. I mean, I understand he has a lot of stuff to do, a lot of other duties outside of work, but I mean, the rest of the team here, we are, we're constantly working for, to pick up what, he's, what he can't do. You see, there's a, there's a kind of properness and respect That that Paul here, when he's referring to walking in this way before outsiders, he's reminding us that that while we do indeed belong to the kingdom of God, that doesn't mean we should neglect our responsibilities here on earth. In fact, it's because we belong to the kingdom of God that we should fulfill our earthly earthly responsibilities with more diligence. It means we should be above reproach. I mean, we we think about this more clearly in the broader perspective of Scripture. This is actually one of the qualifications that Paul has for an elder at the church. In First Timothy chapter three verse seven, he tells he in his list of qualifications, he says, "Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil." I mean, so what Paul here is saying in 1 Thessalonians, he's telling them, work hard. Work hard so that no one may accuse you or the gospel of anything. He is trying to make the gospel look pure without any tarnish. And so in transit, friends, church, let us now turn this text to our own hearts how are you loving others both within this church and outside of this church both to believers and unbelievers how are you demonstrating your love to them in this way in this fashion let me go and give a few application points of how to think through this text in our current age in our current day and the first thing I want to talk about in the midst of all of this is to talk about our current culture. To where, where, right now, we, we hear this call to social justice and racial reconciliation. And we know that, that publicly that call is really strong. And, and while I don't want to get too deep into this topic because this passage alone doesn't cover everything relating to this topic, I want us to think a little bit about how in a passage like this, where we're encouraged to live quietly, fit with current times like today? Right? There are commands in scripture that support our cause, the cause for social justice. We, we see over and over in the Old Testament that God is pleased with those who help the afflicted, who fight for justice, to show mercy and compassion to those who are oppressed. In many ways, the church the church should be in the front lines helping all those people. Right? The church should be in the front lines fighting for equality. But and, and the reason I say that is because Christians Christians should understand injustice better than anyone. I mean, if you think about church history, right? Ever since the conception of church, right? Ever since the Thessalonians times, the from from Ever since the beginning of church history, the church has been under persecution. From the Thessalonians to the Reformers to churches today, we see here unfair treatment given to the church all the time. And, and I, I, that doesn't mean the church hasn't experienced you know, its fair share of blessings. Like In America, we still have religious freedom, and that's a blessing we must continue to enjoy and be thankful for. But if you look at the broad history of Christianity as a whole, I mean, it's a, the history of Christianity is one filled with injustice, and so Christians, we should understand and be empathetic to the injustices of the world more so, and that's what makes this passage here in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse eleven, so sobering. Because it challenges us with the difference between public approval versus the hard work of daily obedience. Think critically with me for a minute. Imagine a Christian social worker who every day works with underprivileged homes, helping those who face inequality, financial hardships, or maybe they're facing with disordered family issues. I mean, who can say about this Christian social worker, who can say that this Christian doesn't help those who are facing injustice in this society? No one can say that, no one can accuse that person. And yet this social worker, because he or she is a Christian, he or she refuses to publicly support movements like the BLM because because movements like that hold beliefs that's contrary to the Christian faith but can anyone still really accuse this social worker of racism? In other words, if you think, if if you're tracking with me, what we're seeing here is that we demonstrate more brotherly love to those who are oppressed and afflicted by obeying daily to the commands of the Lord, by fulfilling our God given responsibilities by working with our own hands to do good. We can do so much more by simply obeying God faithfully, day by day, for those who are weak, for those who are oppressed, for those who are afflicted. Now, that's all I really want to say about social justice, because, again, this one passage can't cover the entire topic of that. And so moving on to the next application, we're going to look at the stewardship of Christian freedom. The stewardship of Christian freedom. And this this passage here, this passage here helps us, help us helps us stay balanced in our Christian life. It helps us be able to stay balanced so that we can effectively do God's ministry. Right? God in God his kingdom, he, he is everything. God is our treasure. We shall rejoice in him. But that does not mean we only do quote unquote Christian things and Forget about our earthly responsibilities. We, we have to look upon everything that we do. All of our responsibilities that we have as a part of furthering God's kingdom. This, this instruction here to live quietly. To our own business. It does not minimize the call to evangelize. It does not downplay our role as light in this world. The, the great commission still hangs over us as the, our purpose. And what we see here, what we see here is that this, we can't take this scripture and neglect all these other things that we're called to do. Instead, we just see how, they, how do they fit together. If you talk to missionaries, and it's, it's really interesting to, to talk to missionaries and, and to hear about you know, their trials and their day-to-day life. And missionaries will be the first one to tell you, that being on the field is not some kind of grand adventure. It's like every day does not, does not come with like these, these crazy happenings. Instead, doing mission work, they'll say many times, it's, a, it's about the mundane things of life. It's about the small stuff. And then it's about settling in a new area, it's about finding a job to support themselves. It's about being one with the community. About building relationships. It's about taking every step they can to be a good citizen of this foreign country. And all these small things is what helps win people over to the gospel. Because all these small things show the locals that you're not there to cause trouble, but you're there to walk with them where they're at. Right, this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is all about. fact turn me there real quick 1st Corinthians chapter 9 and I want to show it to you how what Paul here describes in more detail is relates back to what we see in 1st Thessalonians if you look with me at 1st Corinthians chapter 9 and and we read here in in verse 15 Paul here is speaking about his right to to receive uh, goods to receive gifts from other people for his preaching the gospel but he says here about his rights, he says, verse 15, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. And what is this boasting? What does he want to boast about? Jump to verse 18. He asks, What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so not to make full use of my right in the gospel. So Paul here, he's saying he's foregoing his freedom, his right to to gain, to receive gifts from other people in order to preach the gospel more purely. what it is he Paul here took the extra step to present the gospel in its fullest form he took the extra step to be able to show people the love of God and and that's what Paul here is speaking about as as you keep reading first Corinthians he's talking about then this freedom that he has the freedom that he has to 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 be a Christian but he says Verse nineteen for though I am free from all, he I made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And he goes on to lay, you know, goes on to lay these examples down to a Jew I became a Jew and so on, and, and he wraps things up with verse twenty three for I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them its blessings. Paul here has become all things to all people so that he may present the gospel to them. In other words, we have similar freedoms in Christ. We have the freedom to enjoy this this earthly life for what it is. We have the freedom to go out and do all these amazing things, to hold certain hobbies, to talk to different people. And yet... How are we using that freedom? How are we being a steward of that freedom? Are we willing then to take the extra step of restricting our freedom in order to demonstrate more love for others? In other words, are we willing to go the extra mile to to hold to hold certain? moral obligations to a higher degree in order to demonstrate to people the love of God in the gospel. You see, we can, we can do all these amazing things in life and it's not necessarily wrong. But are we, in the midst of doing all that, are we neglecting some of our other responsibilities, smaller things, that truly fulfills what it means to be a faithful Christian in this world. We're we willing to become all things to all people, right? We can do amazing things at church, but are we able then to still translate that over to our home lives, to our private lives? Because our, because while our role might change, we might be church member at church and a, and a son or daughter at home, our identity in Christ doesn't change. Are you still representing the same love of God in both places? Are we willing, are we willing to look upon our small stuff that we have to do as a way to express love for your people? This is what it means to have a kingdom mindset. Right? It's, it's understanding that our mundane day-to-day tasks, they hold a greater weightiness in them. That, that in everything that we do, and all that we say, and every piece of content that we consume, everything, everything reflects how we present the gospel to the world. And again, this is not to say we shouldn't pre- we shouldn't be involved in something bigger. It 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 depends again upon the roles you're given. If you are a a politician, then, then you're placed there by God for a reason. Use it, use it for for the good of the kingdom. If you're hold if you hold a high position in a well known company, again, this is you're, you're there because God has placed you there. You have your own earthly roles. We all have our own earthly roles to fulfill, both as a private citizen and as a public servant. But regardless of how public your platform may be, all of us, with no exceptions, have private lives that must not be neglected. We all have work, we all have duties, we all have responsibilities that we must fulfill. I'm speaking about this, and you know, with 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 own with my own convictions and my own heart, knowing that there's so much more I can do as well in my own private life. That as much as I love to do more ministry at church and be out there, I have to ask myself: Am I still showing that same Christ-like attitude to love people in my own homes, as a son to my own parents? As a friend to, as a friend to all my brothers and sisters, as a neighbor to another neighbor, and now my newest road I put on as a husband to a wife, can I continue to grow in love in these smaller, or not necessarily smaller, wrong word, but in these more private responsibilities away from the public square? Am I able to do it all? Do it all and fulfill it for the gospel. To demonstrate that the gospel impacts not just our public lives, but every aspect of our life, in the big and small things, in everything that we do. What we get here is that Paul's telling us to live quietly to my own affairs, to work our own hands, to fulfill all our duties so that we can demonstrate love to all people, every person. Which connects us to my last application point, which is speak about holy ambition. To recognize that the gospel indeed, there's a radical aspect to the gospel. That the gospel indeed is countercultural, That the gospel does challenge the sinfulness and the darkness of this world. And it causes us to do indeed some radical things for Christ. And so we go on mission trips. We sacrifice our resources and time. We put our lives out there for the sake of Christ. To be light in this world. And we recognize that by being light in this world. There will be also be those who reject the light there will be persecution against the gospel. But we must always let the gospel itself be the sole stumbling block for the world. Let the gospel be the sole stumbling block for the world. Bringing us back to my introduction, some people may claim that the church is unjust, That a church demonstrates hate and discrimination. That a church is unloving. And in all those situations, we must weigh these accusations carefully. What exactly are they saying? Is there any aspect of truth in there? Is there any aspect of truth that we must recognize in our own lives? Or is what they're accusing you of focused simply on the biblical truths that you hold to? What is it that they're accusing the church of? And we have to remember that there are those who simply hate the gospel. And in Romans chapter 12, we're reminded to repay no one evil for evil, but to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Meaning, let us overcome evil with good. We live quietly. We fulfill our earthly duties. We faithfully steward our gifts and blessings. And we have to see that all of this, all that we have here, all that we do here on earth, everything that God has given to us, that makes our life radical. That this kind of life of living quietly, of being faithful stewards, of working with our own hands... That brings light to this world. That this kind of life is what makes a difference to others. That this kind of life is what demonstrates a transcendent kind of love to people. Now we speak loudest. Not when people want something from us. Want us to answer them about something. We speak loudest when we show them that we answer God alone. In other words, live to please God. Walk to please God. Be radical by faithfully being obedient to God alone. Let your life be a reflection to what Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ, in his divine right, he can demand our attention. And yet he chose to descend from heaven to become like one of us in the form of a servant, in order to win us back to God. Let us exalt this Christ with our lives. Let us be faithful stewards of this great, of this great and humble King. Let us diligently labor to express this same love of Christ to all people. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time we we'll are able to gather and study your word and to see, Lord, just, just how, Lord, you continue to work in our lives and, and even in the small things when we are called to live quietly for your name's sake. And God, in the midst of a world where we, where, where we are being tried for so many different reasons. Lord, I I pray God that we remain faithful to you, that God, our obedience to you speaks louder than our words. And that God, we demonstrate your love to other people through our actions, through our responsibilities, through our presence, Lord, through being above reproach in our character. That, Lord, in all things, we do all things, Lord, for your glory. We continue to take the extra step, Lord, to present the gospel in its fullest form. And so, God, I, I pray then that we will then take heed of these words. And that during a time like this, Lord, we will be challenged to remain faithful to your commands. And so be with us, Lord, as we break off into our groups and discuss, Lord, about ways we can continually be faithful to you. And I pray, Lord, that we then will have a fruitful time and be encouraged to love you, to be with you, and to commune then with one another. So, Lord, be with us. We depend upon your grace. I pray all this in your name. Amen.